So, with Haters Gonna Hate, we are starting in John 9, and we are going to go, start in verse 1 and just read a couple verses. It says, And Jesus passed by and saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? At this time, the Jews had had a a myth going along that if you sinned bad enough, or if you were going, some people believed it was actually future, you were punished ahead of time for sins. If you were going to sin bad enough, God would literally punish your children or punish you at birth. So if somebody was born with a lame leg or couldn't see or whatever, they were evidently something terrible happened and this is the punishment. That was that was a very common you'll still hear it sometimes in certain circles in Christianity today that, well, you do something bad enough, you know, maybe one of your children only. <clears throat> Interestingly, the Bible does have a couple things in Ezekiel and Isaiah that says where it says the iniquity of the parents is returned upon the, the children. But that's not saying that God punishes the children for what the parents did. It's talking about a concept like when Israel was doing idolatry and they are being evil, and God kicked them out of the land. Well, the parents that were doing that were almost dead by the time they made it out of the land. They were in their 50s, 60s, 70s. So the children of them were the ones who actually got brought into Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. So the, their children and grandchildren and, and great-grandchildren had to endure the results of the iniquity of the parents. It's not that God punished the parent, the kids, but if parents do the wrong thing, it can scar the situation, whether it's a bad name or whatever it is, and it can hurt the children for many generations. It can really give them a tough thing. So that's not saying that God is, is punishing them for something their parents did. It's saying that the parents are essentially punishing their own children <laughs> by doing stuff that's going to be revisited on them later. So that's us punishing ourselves by not following God and not being in his grace and following with what he wants. But they took that to mean... Instead, that oh, God's punishing the kid. So this guy, kid was born blind because his parents were evil or something. So we see this in the second verse where it says, His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but, the work, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So they asked him, who sinned? He said, nobody. So the next question is, well, why, did, why was he born blind then? Why was, I mean, is there, does things just happen for no reason? Not particularly because they said, why, well, why is he born blind? Christ already answered that. He said, nobody, neither his, his parents or him. He was born this way so for that moment, so that the works of God could be shown through him. He was being prepared throughout his life so that he could be at that moment, at that time, in a place in Judea, so that when Jesus Christ was walking through with his disciples, his disciples would ask the question, and he could prove them wrong and show them. That's why it happened, is for the glory of God. God now, God does not cause sin or evil things to happen. 
but God uses all things to work towards the good of those who trust him. So God is not going to cause something bad, but if you're going to do something bad, he will still work it towards the betterment of his kingdom, no matter what. You can be on the sidelines and time out, or you can get, get, out, get with the program and, and do the right thing. God's going to do it. It's up to us to get in line. But it will work out. So why was this man born blind? So that he could be healed. So he could prove a point. So that the works of God could be manifest through him. And so Jesus not only goes on to heal this man's sight. In the next one he says he took clay and he ground it up. He put on the guy's eyes. When he washed it off he could see. So he heals a blind man. But in the same time he expels a myth about sin being visited on the children because of the parents or something. And guess what? Haters are going to hate because they didn't like that very much. The Jewish people did not like that very much. We're going to flip back real quick to Mark 2. Mark chapter 2. Starting in the first verse, it says, and remember, the reason for, for the last one was so that the, why the guy was blind was so that the works of God could manifest. Well, in this case, we're going to read and we're going to see that everything does ultimately work for the, for the good of, of God, even when we're going to do the wrong things. So in verse two, in the second chapter, in the first verse, it says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick with the palsy, which was born... Of four, and I mean that means four people were carrying him. And when they could not come, not when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and they had broken it up, and they got down the bed wherein the sick with palsy lay. And when Jesus saw the faith, their faith, he said unto the sick of palsy, "Son, thy sins are forgiven thee." But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoned in their hearts. Why does this man speak such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit what they so reasoned within themselves. And he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it, it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he rose, took up his bed, and went forth before, and so, before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it in this, on this fashion. This is another thing that can be used 
to strike down another another thing that, that is false that people use. You hear people say all the time, oh, this person, they're going to go to a healing seminar or something. Oh, they didn't get healed? No, evidently they didn't have enough faith. They didn't have enough faith. According to this, this guy didn't have any faith at all. It was his four friends had faith for him. God said, he says that Jesus saw the faith of the four men and said, that's good enough for me. And he told him that. Now again, understanding that in this time, just like in John, people thought that the reason why this guy was probably lame was something he did that was sinful. So Jesus said the easiest thing he could say, which was your sins are forgiven, stand up and walk. But when they reasoned, well, who can forgive sins but God? He then answered them and said, I can forgive sins. I am God. <laughs> I can do this. That's who. And then he told them, because the thing is, they, they thought it in their, inside themselves, and he knew what they thought, and he answered them. And not only that, then after expelling the myth, saying, well, which is easier for me to do? If I would have told the guy, stand up and walk, he never would have stood up. Because you guys have this myth going on that, that he's sinful. So I told him, your sins are forgiven, stand up. What do you want me to say? Stand up? He tells him, stand up. And he does. He stands up, takes his bed, and walks. And people gloried, they marveled, they said, we've never seen anything like this. This is unbelievable. And yet, the certain of the Pharisees, of the scribes, they hated him. They seek to kill him. He, the lame with palsy made him to walk. Can you imagine if somebody in a with palsy that's in a wheelchair literally just... Someone just said, stand. And they just stood right up, picked up their wheelchair, and walked out those doors. Would the first thing that came to your mind be, I hate that guy. <laughs> I just hate that guy. How dare he? But you know what? There are things that we do in life, no matter what we do, people are going to hate you. They're going to hate you because you're a Christian. They're going to hate you because you're... And this... It's the society we live in. People will hate each other for skin color, for being female or male or whatever it is, that you will get hate for something. Where you come from in the country, all kinds of things will happen because people are people and they will find a reason to hate. They will make an excuse up. It makes no kind of sense just so they have an excuse because we ultimately, in ourselves, we are sinful. People are sinful people. And the worst, the worst type of hate is when you get angry that some, somebody else is able to do something that you're not able to do, or that something happened to somebody and didn't happen to you. Because that is a form of greed and covetousness all wrapped into one that says, I should get what they got. How, come, how dare they get Instead, God says you should want what's best for everyone, and you should glory in the fact that anyone would be healed, that anyone would be, would get a promotion, would get, you should be genuinely happy that anything good ever happens to anybody. We are called to have a true love for people, a true joy in our heart when any good thing happens to any other person. That is what we are called to do. When God talks to Peter at the, end, when, at the end of the book of John, and he's telling him after he denied him three times, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And in Greek, you know, there are like five different words that all get transferred as, as, 
is love. But in Greek, he says agape love, which basically means to love somebody like endlessly, to make complete devotion to them. He says, do you love me? And Peter doesn't even respond. He says, you know, you know I do. He wouldn't even say I love you back. And this is a, he just saw him crucified and raised from the dead. And Peter wouldn't say, yes, I love you. He said, yeah, you know. And then God, Jesus says what? Because he denied him three times. Jesus said, I'm going to test you three times. And said, do you love me? And Peter replies with phileo love, which phileo love is what you just feel for any old person, a friend, a general friend, a general liking of somebody. He says, yeah, I love you. He says, then feed my lambs. Then be what I'm asking you to be. Do, and, and for that, you need that kind of love because you need the lambs. The lambs need, they are going to rely on you for support. It's like a baby. You have to feed them. You have to keep track. That's why he uses a lamb as the thing because you have to keep track of them. You have to work for them. It's not going to be easy. And then he asks them again the third time, do you love me? And Peter gets upset, angry. He says, of course you keep asking me. Why would you keep asking me this? Of course you know I do. And then Jesus says to him, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you're going to go. When you're old, you're going to be in chains. You're going to be, somebody is going to take you where you don't want to go and stretch your arms out. He told him you're going to die on a cross. Now do you love me? You know what Peter said? Peter looked over his shoulder and John and said, what about him? <laughs> Peter was a great disciple too. I mean, in, in the end, God gave him that charge. Christ gave Peter that charge because he knew when all things were down, when all the chips were down, when everything was down, he knew Peter would go through with it. Peter would not deny him this uh, fourth time. He would go through with it and he would accept it and Peter eventually was in fact crucified on a cross for being a Christian, for leading the Christian church. But he had Peter had to go through a lot of things for it. He had to go through a lot of things. He had to, he had to go through a lot of struggles. But Peter was very human because he had a very human reaction. If somebody told you, if you say you love Christ, we're going to take you out and kill you. You might look over your shoulder and go, well, what about him? He says he loves Christ too. That might be a reaction we have. But we, this is where we need to work on ourselves because no matter what your response is, people are going to hate you anyways. They will hate you for the cause of the cross. They will hate you for no reason. They will make up reasons to hate you. We can jump to the third, ver to the third chapter in the first verse. It says in there, it says, Mark 3, in the first verse, says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, it is, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath, or to do evil, to save a life, or to kill? But they held their peace. See, this was the thing with the Jewish people. They had created, there are, enough, there's, there are 615 laws in the Old Testament given to the Jewish people. These people at this time managed to add another 615 laws 
of their own making. That's why when Christ says, you're not following me, you're following your own man-made laws. I mean, they had laws like how they say, well, you can't work. They said, what constitute work? If you sweat, you're working. Therefore, you can only walk a thousand paces in a single Sabbath day. Any more than that, and you will be considered working. So therefore, you had to count your steps so that you only went 50 one way and 50 back, 500 one way and 500 back, because otherwise you couldn't get back. They said if you picked up something that was heavier than a cup, you couldn't then put it down with the same hand, because that would be work. It would flex your muscles. So if you, that's actually where we got juggling from, because the people, to, to get across that, they would pick up an apple, take a bite, and throw it up and catch it with the other hand and set it down just so they could get around this rule. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And here they said, God says the Sabbath day was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath day was made so that we would rest. Otherwise, there were people all across this country who would work themselves to death. But God said, because I love you, I'm going to tell you, rest. Just rest. Work six days, rest. Take some time off for yourself. You're going to kill yourself otherwise. So the Sabbath was rest. It was not to prove you're holier than this person or you know how to follow laws. But they had created all these rules that Christ is sitting there going, okay, so on the Sabbath day, do you good, do good or do you do evil? Which is, which is lawful? He means by your laws, which is lawful. Because all God ever gave was take some time out, rest. <laughs> That's all he told them about the Sabbath. He didn't tell them anything particular. He said take some time off, rest. So Jesus said that. He said he stands forth in the fourth verse and says, is it lawful? And so whenever he says, is it lawful, he's referring to their laws, not his own. Because if he was referring to his own, he would say it's written and it is written. But he's not, so he didn't say it was written or is it written. He said, is it lawful? Meaning is what you made up. <coughs> he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they held their peace, and when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch out thine hand. And as he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him person with a bad hand gets healed and the first thing they think about is how they can kill this man for doing such a good such a work honestly though you look around the world can you say the world's much different there are people that if they're i i personally i have to say i actually still believe that healing happens but i believe god heals he has his own reasons he has his own things I can say this because, honestly, my mother had a pretty miraculous thing. She had an issue with her back. And they basically said that, well, within the next six months, you're going to be paralyzed. Even if we work on this, operate on this, there's a 50% chance the operation will paralyze you from the waist down. My mom continued to go to church, continued to pray about this. And when, we, she, when she went in the, for the consultation, it was supposed to be the week prior to when they go for the surgery, when they took the x-ray... They said, well, evidently we must have messed up and got the wrong x-ray the last time because that issue isn't there now. But we, they, of course, said, well, it was never there. But 
they're just saying, oh, we must have switched your x-rays or something. Or whatever. Everything else was the same. She has a little scoliosis. It was the same curve in her back. Everything else was the same. But honestly, I believe that was a miracle. I believe God kept her. Why? Because she had work to do. She still had a few children that needed to get out the house. She had some grandchildren that had moved in because of some issues. She needed to be mobile. And God saw it fit for some reason to grant her mobility for a little while longer. Now, this last year, for a completely unrelated reason, she did have to go through a surgery. But even that has been successful to the point that, and really, whether it's surgery or miraculous, still kind of healing, isn't it? <laughs> still kind of healing. However, if God did tell me one day, you, Jay, you can heal now. Anybody you touch is healed. Are you I would go, there's a children's hospital in Akron, one of the premier children's hospitals in the country. I would run to that place and touch every person I could touch. I wouldn't, I mean, I would kill myself. Just touch, touch, touch. I would put them out of business. I would put them out of business. I would get, I'd steal the ledger so I could go through and go to homes of children and start touching them. I mean, I, if I could do that for one day. But you know what? I'm nothing special. I believe everybody here feels that way. Everybody here feels that. You know why? You got the Spirit working inside you. You are a new creation because of Christ. And therefore, we are not the same as we were. If we let, even being a Christian, if you grieve the Holy Spirit and you work against it and you harden your heart and you sear your conscience, you can make it to where you become bitter and angry and resentful, even as a Christian. And we see, you see angry, bitter, old Christians all over the place, that they, you're saved, your eternal life is guaranteed. Why are you bitter? They've decided in themselves they're going to be bitter. And that's no way to live because we have the Holy Spirit. We can do better. We can all do better. We don't have to be like this. But you know what? The rest of the world doesn't have that. We can't judge them by this book because they don't know this book. They don't have this. This book is for us, each one individually, to, to, to see, to put a lens, to see what is our world, how do we live, and what do we do. And each, each person has to make up their own mind. What do I do? You can't make it up for yourself, for your, your children, for your spouse, for anybody else. You have to make it up for yourself. That's the only way you can do it. And you know what? If you choose the right thing, I guarantee you, you went up there to the if. He runs up, I'm like, he can heal all of a sudden. I go, Stephen, we're going up to Children's Hospital. We go up there, we put that place out of business. There's going to be 7,000 people are going to be angry at us because they no longer have a job. There's going to be a CEO who makes $10 million a year who's going to be angry because he no longer has a hospital to manage. People, I guarantee you, there will be drug manufacturers who put a hit out on you for something like that. They will be angry. Why? Honestly, it's in our nature. Haters hate. And we are all capable of hate. Haters hate. We're going to switch real quick to John 5. And John 5 is going to really explain out why Jesus was so... I believe Jesus lived the majority of his life fairly upset. When, when people will say, oh, I don't think Jesus got all that angry. I don't know. I mean, he did make a whip and, you know, 
whip people out of the temple before. That seems like he was pretty frustrated. God, as a matter of fact, says, be angry and sin not. It, you can be angry and not sin. Now, the thing is, most of us are not angry in an unsinful way. We're usually angry because we feel like somebody slighted us. We feel something, but he did something to us. You scream at your children, maybe, because they did something. But you know why? Because you feel like, they usurped my authority. How dare you? That's really why you do that. You feel like you've made yourself important enough that you feel, how dare they do something against me? We really don't have that position. We're all equal when it comes to being sinful. God's the only one who has the right to be angry that somebody would go against him. So we are making ourselves in the place of God when we, when we are angry for selfish reasons. So you can be, but you can be angry. You can say, well, this terrible thing happened to a child. And you can get angry about that. But don't let it become sin. Don't let it fester. Don't let it work on it. Deal with it. But you can see Jesus, I think he spent a lot of his time frustrated these people. Because these were the Jewish people. These are the people that he, they sent the law to. They sent them the law. They've had the law for thousands of years. And what did they do? They hardened their heart to it. They wanted nothing to do with it. In John 5, starting in the first verse, it says, After there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the water, moving of the waters. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the waters. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the waters stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now this is, remember, just because the Bible will state that people believe something doesn't mean that that was actually happening. There was never any angel going to some pool in Bethesda. That was a myth people thought. You know why you know is because People were laying all around that pool. I guarantee you none of them were getting healed. <laughs> none of them were getting healed. There was always a reason. You know, the waters would trouble. they go, oh, angel. And they'd roll in. they go, ah, somebody must have got in before me. There was always something. There was all, and we know this because in the next one it talks about this. So, But this is a myth that this didn't really happen. In 5 it says, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. 38 years, he's been waiting by this pool to get in, and every time there was something. There was something. He just couldn't make it in. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now been a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another step down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise. Take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Somebody was just healed after 38 years, lying in a position, waiting for a myth to heal him. And he was legitimately healed. He picked up his bed. And what's the first thing they had to say? How dare you carry your bed? Not, whoa, 38 years you've been laying here and you're walking. No, how dare you break one of our laws, one of the rules we created? 
That's the only thing they cared about. Now he answers in the eleventh verse and says, "He answered them, and he, uh, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk." So he passes the buck. He doesn't even say, "Well, you know, I was lame, and so I picked up and walked." He says he's passing the buck. He's going, "No, it's his fault. He's the one who told me to carry my bed. He was just healed, and he's already going. Well, he's the don't don't do nothing to me, man. He's the one who told me." <laughs> But that's kind of that's kind of we're like that. You will experience all kinds of things in your life that it just it was just so. It just happened in such a way that it had to have been God guiding you. It had to be God over that situation. You'll walk away and within hours you'll be thinking of things that are completely and utterly against what God would want you to be thinking two hours after something just happened to you. We all do this. It's there's no there's nothing unique to this. There's nothing new under the sun. This is this ability is in all of us. But the thing is, is God, God has a reason for things. And Jesus, unfortunately, he being God, he was stuck in this, this condition where he's a man, he's subject to, to, to being on this earth and having to live in this earth. He's, he actually had to lower himself and, and, and limit his ability because this body can only do so much. And yet he also has the ability, he's God. He knows things. He can, he, he understands. Could you imagine the frustration of being stuck between two worlds like this, where you know what's going on? And these are the people that you gave a you gave the Bible, you gave the testament to, the old testament to. You gave it to him and said, read it, find it, find who I am. And he, they talk about that. They say that, you know, that. And we'll jump forward to, because we're running out of time, but uh, we'll jump forward and says that in the 37th verse, because Jesus goes a long diatribe talking about that, you know, he will pass judgment on anybody he wants to. He's been given all this. In the 37th verse, it says, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, has borne witness of me that ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent, him ye believe not. Now, the reason why he's saying this to the Pharisees is because to be a Pharisee, you had to be able to quote the Old Testament from memory. To be a Pharisee, you had to quote the Old Testament from memory. And he says, well, evidently, you don't have, the, the, you don't have it in, in you. They might have it in here. He's saying, you don't have it in you. That's not possible because God testified to me in the old, about me in the Old Testament. And here I am, and you don't, you have no understanding. And the next verse in here, he says that in 39, he says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they that are they are they which testify of me. And it says, and ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men. Jesus said, search the scriptures. They testify of me. Psalms 22. No clearer passage of a person being, being hung on a cross and crucified. That was written 500 years before the concept of crucifixion was invented. 
Zechariah, in the 13th chapter, says, they'll ask you, what, what are these marks on your wrists? The servant that, that God sends. They, it testifies. The whole entirety of the Old Testament testifies to him. I'm going to have us go, this is the last thing we're doing, and we're going to go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. The Old Testament. While we're turning. An actress, Debbie Mazar, said, A hero is somebody who is selfless, who is generous in spirit, who tries to give back as much as possible and help people. A hero is someone who saves people and who really deeply cares. There's a famous meme going around on Facebook right now that it's been going on for like two years. It has Leonardo DiCaprio and another guy from the movie Inception. The one guy says, you know, if you were just more like Jesus, people would like you. Everyone loves Jesus. And DiCaprio's character looks back at him and says, they crucified Jesus. If you do the right thing, the world will hate you. This world is darkness. And darkness doesn't just not like light. Darkness recoils from the light. It cannot coexist with the light. Evil hates good. And yet we are called to be a servant to all men. So you are to serve the very people that hate you. Because that's what our ultimate symbol of love, Christ, did. He died for people while they were still hating him. He, while on the cross, he said, Forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. He is the ultimate symbol of what we need to be. Because he loved the people who hated him for no cause. But hate hates. And we ultimately have the ability to hate. So we can't take it personal. We have to overcome hate with good. We are to be the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before Christ. 700 years before Christ. And it says, it's starting in the first verse. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when he shall see, and when they, we shall see him, there is no beauty in what we shall, that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. And a man of sorrows, an acquaintance with grief. And we hid as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Before I continue on, remember, we know for a fact Isaiah was written when it was. they say it was. People will try and tell you, Isaiah was written late. The little thing called the Dead Sea Scrolls, those scrolls were written, written between 300 and 100 B.C. They were locked in that cave before, 150 years before Christ. And they contain this, this chapter. Verse 5 says, 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and he and he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He was a perfect man who had nothing wrong, not a single sin, and he was hated. And he says, you will be hated for my name's sake. If you stand for what you believe, if you're a wishy-washy Christian, you don't have to worry. If you're a person who comes in here on Sunday, but on, on Tuesday it's a different story, you don't have to worry. But if you truly believe what you say, and you don't have to live it perfectly, you just have to try. You just have to try. Just, just try. You will be hated for his sake. Because he was perfect. And yet, by his stripes, as he was beaten 39 times with a cat of nine tails, we are healed. That was for us. That he took that. And so, the most perfect person that's ever existed, the only perfect being, came into this world, was rejected by the very people who should have known him before anybody else. And you know why? Because hate hates. May we all get closer to God as we continue to read this Bible and continue to search our souls so that we can understand that we are capable of this very thing. But by the grace of God, we have a comforter who can move us to grace and can continue us and we will persist and we will have an eternity with Christ. That's something that we cannot glory in of ourselves. It is only because of him. But may we never forget that as people persecute us, we are called to love them anyways. Anyways, do not harden your heart to somebody who wants to persecute you. You're to love them anyways. Let's bow our heads today for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these people. And we thank you for this amazing book that just has the answers to life in it if we're just willing to search it. 
Thank you for this time. Thank you for just all the wonderful miracles that you've done in every one of our lives. I ask that you'll watch over everybody as we go throughout our different ways, and you will just continue to protect us from this cruel world, and that one day when we stand before you, we'll be able to just look around and know that you had completed the work that you started in us this day. We ask for all these things and all the blessings on this church and on all the people in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.